Hello and welcome to the show. Two Temples is a podcast where I, Shea Kamarichka, talk to real people about real psychedelic experiences. We discuss how these experiences have helped us learn lessons and overcome personal issues. My goal is to help end the stigma surrounding psychedelics. You can help by sharing this podcast with your friends and on social media. I believe we can undo the decades of lies about psychedelics and expose their healing potential by sharing story after story until the truth is undeniable. Catherine Kelly and I had a great conversation about her fight against breast cancer and how she exceeded her life expectancy by years. Her story is very interesting and includes ayahuasca and psilocybin experiences, along with many other things like diet and Reiki. The conversation lasted just under three hours, so it will be split into three parts. If you have a comment or anything you'd like to share on the podcast, please email me at twotemplespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks and enjoy. Hello. Hello. And how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Right on. Good to hear. Um, so how, how do you want to start this? Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, my journey with psychedelics initially began, you know, as a teenager um, in the late 70s. Um, I've certainly had experience with acid and it was always wonderful and I wasn't in a situation where I came across it a lot um, often but you know maybe once or twice a year for a few years always loved it and just recreational at this point oh definitely recreational at that point and um, then in my 20s I had kids took it took a few decades off not that I wouldn't think about it here and there but again, in in my in my life, it wasn't there, so it would be an errant thought every once in a while. And then in 2014, I was diagnosed with a stage four breast cancer. I had the kind of fast-growing tumor and lymph nodes lymph nodes removed. Before I had a chance to really research. Now I will say that I had always thought if I were to get cancer and I've had some cancer that ran in my family, um, breast cancer and other types, but um, because I had known several family members and friends who had had breast cancer, who had gone through chemo radiation and had ultimately passed away, I had always thought that that would not be a route I would take. I was a longtime massage therapist. I've been a Reiki practitioner for about 25 years, so um, I'm kind of a natural health person, except I was kind of healthy enough that I really didn't much go to the doctor. I had pain issues from a car accident when I was um, about five. It was a really bad car accident and affected my rotated thumb. Um, so, <laughs> rotated areas in my spine, pinched nerves, blah, blah. So I dealt with that. But otherwise, you know, I hardly ever went to a doctor really almost for nothing else, period. Because um, you had a good kind of control over your body, sort of? like you. you well, could... except, for, except for the pain, I still dealt with plenty of pain. And I used tramadol, um, prescription tramadol, for gosh, close to 30 years. So so I used that, but otherwise, 
I didn't really, you know, get sick a lot. So, so that was kind of my experience with that. So I came down. When you get diagnosed with cancer, from what I have learned, my experience and speaking to others, you kind of get rushed into making decisions. Everything is now. You have to decide now, 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 now. So I went ahead. I had the surgery done, and then I paused. And I had been, of course, even right away started researching anything natural to deal with it. There wasn't as much, it was a little harder to find this information when I started than it is now, even though it's only six years later. So much more information has, is easier to find, I believe, now. But even from the get-go, I kind of felt like it had a very strong emotional aspect. I had been, I had dealt with depression, pain, PTSD from um, unhappy childhood circumstances for all my life. And while I had dealt with it on an intellectual level, I feel like trauma and pain, things like that can really get into your cellular self and you can't always deal with that intellectually. Yeah, it gets so right not, into your core, eh? Right into your core. So yeah. even though my mind had gone through my 12 steps of everything and forgiveness and all that, <laughs> I felt like there was still this lack of joy and low-level depression that I kind of always had. So shortly after um, my diagnosis, I was talking with a friend, and they had asked if I had heard of ayahuasca, and I had not. And so we started talking about it. They had been looking at into it for themselves, but, you know, we went and talked about it, and then I kind of ran with it and did a lot of research and, um, you know, read articles, watched documentaries, and thought that that seemed like what could really help lift my, my mental situation. So it took about, and I didn't have the funds or the ability really to go to South America, but I meditated on it, you know, really thought about it a lot, and within about a year, I was in a situation of being able to work with a group of uh, shamans that come up from Colombia wow. uh, a couple, couple of times a year and work up here, and I was able to um, work with that. My first, and I only would, uh, I only did two nights a two-night ceremony, first time, and I had very little physical reaction, a little bit of colored lights, but even though I drank three times <laughs> and people around me seemed like they were, you know, certainly into it, but I felt very sober, and it was very interesting, hmm. not really any purging the first night, um, second night a little bit more and a little bit more activity. And did I you feel of, anything like within yourself? Like, did you feel any sort of like gurgling or you know, like um, not, stuff not happening in that core? No, not no? not very much. But I have to say, even so, it was probably one of the um, strongest experiences I had because as um, after that weekend, 
I was able to quit using the tramadol, which was amazing. I was driving home, and it was several hours away. And all of a sudden, um, even though I was ca caught in traffic, and normally that would irritate me, I was, everything was good, felt good. And I thought, wow, my back doesn't feel like it's hurting. <laughs> and of course, you have to stop taking everything, you know, as far as your dieta before using ayahuasca. So I, when I got to the ceremony, <laughs> I was in incredible pain, you know, having gone at least a week without that, without cannabis anything yeah i would definitely be in uh, <laughs> in a little bit of pain too um so, so what was your diet like before going into this before going into it my diet had big it probably wasn't as as bad as a lot of people's you know i didn't live on fast food i didn't live on carbs and sugar but i still had enough of that in my diet that I don't think it, it was good. And I certainly didn't have enough leafy green vegetables, things of that nature. So on my way home from this first weekend, I noticed my back. I pull over. I literally pulled over, got out, and moved around and was amazed at, at how much better it felt. And it wasn't like it, it wasn't a little stiff. It's not like all of a sudden I had a brand new back. But since that time and this was truly amazing when you live on painkillers for decades to be able to even just sit for the amount of time it took me to get home and not have any painkillers was amazing yeah I so agree. so i did with the dieta you know i i followed just really nice bland diet is and when i got back and i had already in the year before my ayahuasca in the year before, in researching natural cancer, you know, certainly diet plays a huge part of that. So I had already, the, you know, within that year, changed my diet, um, almost no sugar. I'd use stevia, whatever. But even not a lot of that. A lot of fruits and vegetables, a lot of juicing. Um, and so that was there. I used cannabis. I wasn't using cannabis oil at the time because at that time it was still very expensive, kind of a little okay. a bit out of my <laughs> out of my range. It's still not cheap, but to find a decent quality now, you can do it for less than you could then. It is still not inexpensive to find a good quality. Um or someone you know who can make it, or you make it yourself, obviously. Yeah, right. But, um, so I have found, um, even after that first weekend, even though I did not have a huge, you know, physical or visual reaction, I found it made a huge difference in my mind frame, in lifting depression and allowing me to start kind of being able to work on changing my mindset, kind of retraining my brain. Um, I came across Dr. Joe Dispenza's work, who's been working, you know, for decades training how to be able to change your mind, you know, and um, I've just found it amazing. And psychedelics work very good with his work. So I have found myself in a much better. And then over a year and a half, I did um, 
five more ceremonies. And then I decided to take a break. I felt I had gotten where I needed to there, and I would work on that. How, how then, long between ceremonies was it? Usually a few months. And would you, like, hold your diet through the whole thing, or um, would, uh, would you just sort of, like, the, as, the week as before? Far as, my, as far as my anti-cancer diet, I would. But then um, for the dieta, you have to drop a little, you know, because onions garlic these are all really good anti-cancer things <laughs> so so that would come out of my diet so are those so, things that react poorly to the um ayahuasca yeah um it is certainly from all of the reading i have done there is a consensus that um things of that nature do not work well with ayahuasca Right. And for that, I would have to go back and reread, you know, to be able to explain that better. Yeah, now, no I also I do also know from being in a lot of different groups and reading a lot of different people's experiences, there are certainly people who don't follow Daida at all, and and they feel like their experience is just fine. So I don't, you know, I just feel like I'd like to kind of follow the traditional path. Well, you know. I feel like it's a little bit better that way because then at least you're doing as much as you can to help your body do what it needs to do. Right. Set yourself up for success. Yeah, exactly. Get, get in that mindset. Yeah. And certainly after that, when my and I would do, I did a, another two-night ceremony and then one night ceremony and another two nights ceremony, all, all some months uh, apart. Um, what I found is, in my experience, my my journeys got darker, and the darker part would last longer before it would get to a point where you kind of arrived in that particular journey of that evening for myself, it's like you go through a lot of crazy visual things and then you kind of arrive at a point. And that point is your main message, let's say, or what you're seeing or whatever. And then after that, I would always just almost immediately become, you know, back in the room, more conscious. So did it sort but of feel it, like a, almost like a checkpoint where you get to this spot? It's like, okay that's where we'll leave it for the day like come back tomorrow and we'll kind of pick it up or was it sort of a different feeling um each time kind of very different okay it seemed like a little more kind of probably more like that there were times that i would say that it got to points where i made the conscious decision of okay we're gonna stop here <laughs> okay i was in probably feeling a little too much fear Okay. But, you know, there seems to be a bit of a running um, um, line of, of fear through my experiences. So what and did that, that fear like? I would say dealing with, so my main purpose, let's say, aside from the cancer, was really dealing with childhood um, issues. Okay. Um, potential childhood sex abuse issues, 
and certainly emotional abuse issues. So I believe the fear is kind of still working through that cellular fear that was there from years of living in that kind of experience. Yeah, that, that so, stuff that has sort of built its way into the core that you're sort of trying right. to work out now. Okay. Trying to work out. And so, and this is all hypothetical as I have thought about it afterwards. Um, that's possibly partly the letting go, you know, but it's letting go, you know, from your cells up through your brain and your consciousness and then out, you know. Um, and then a lot of purging, a lot more purging made up for the first weekend of no purging. And what, what did that feel like? Did it feel good? Like relieving? Um, it, it does, you know, it doesn't, of course, at that second, you know, but right afterwards, it certainly does. Yeah. You know, it's not like that kind of stomach flu where your stomach just aches and aches and you vomit and you still ache it's almost like for me it's hey this is getting ready to happen <laughs> and then you know you get like a minute um sometimes i was in the beginning i was able to keep the medicine down for much longer 30 45 minutes my last couple times um, gosh, if I could keep it down for five minutes, it would, be, and it was work to keep it down. So it's been very interesting to me in how my body has changed over the ceremonies. So um, yeah, come on in until the last, the last time. Gosh, I don't even, I don't know if I made it five minutes before I started purging. So the purging every time was coming much faster. Um, I and I don't know why. Well, that makes a little bit of sense to me. Like when I do mushrooms, it sort of like sparks this almost memory or something of um, the feelings that my body gets and stuff. And it like remembers that it's about to go through this big, big sort of event. And right. It, um, yeah, I get this feeling of sort of nausea, like as I'm even consuming it. And so it, it makes sense to me that your body is sort of more prone to reacting to it as it's getting more used to it. Yeah. Yes, that makes sense. It's like, oh, I know where we're going. Yeah, <laughs> so it, it doesn't have to sort of go through that whole process going through the body and like, everything it's sort of on the forefront and you know what you're sort of getting into that and i've also i've often thought that my first weekend that the medicine was kind of getting to know me and okay. i kind of feel like that um in chatting with other people who've had similar experiences i and i wonder you know whether it goes in and it kind of establishes a little bit and then the next time you do it it kind of connects to what's already being built you yeah know? I that totally understand sense. that because um, one of my first DMT trips it sort it felt a lot like I was it was just like a training simulation sort of thing I was I don't know like suiting up for this next dimension and I was sort of like purging and like 
my body was getting used to it and everything and it was just a transformation sort of trip and that but I haven't felt anything like that since you know but it was just that like that initial gotta get ready right so um sorry I'm sort of <laughs> losing my train of thought here but no but okay. <clears throat> um does that make sort of sense to you or can you oh absolutely yeah and I think um I often you know read in uh groups about people having experiences and not not really feeling anything and so I always like to be supportive and say well you know give it another try because you know you're just maybe kind of building that uh, that bridge there yeah it might have been working on something in the background that you didn't really notice so I have found that um, I've stepped back after my last ayahuasca ceremony um, stepped back after a few months maybe six months even um, you know time to integrate right and work on all the other things I was working on for my cancer stuff my physical stuff right. <laughs> and um, then started looking into mushrooms which I had had one experience with when uh, my husband and I went to Jamaica and um, that was a fun and interesting trip but it was certainly at that point recreational and and it had been um, a couple of decades so um, did a macrodose and then kind of uh, microdose in between okay. at times when maybe life is a little more stressful <laughs> and you need a little boost yeah so I'll sure. go through you know and I'll usually do like the five or six week course of microdosing you know every third day kind of thing and um, so the oncologist that I saw a couple of times after my surgery had given me about a 27% chance of living past three years if I didn't do the, you know, her full course chemo, radiation, and then tamoxifen afterwards. And then with all that, then that could add months, <laughs> months to my life after after all that. But so, you'd be in the uh, hospital and doing well, all you'd these things. Sick all my time, no? yeah. So anyway, so I didn't do that. Obviously, I went this natural route I used um, the ayahuasca and mushrooms are for my emotional mental healing I used um, high dose IV vitamin C certainly I used cannabis just not always in the oil um, although I think that is an excellent uh, way to treat cancer and I know so, many people it's just cannabis oil <laughs> so you uh, have edibles? Do you just smoke it? Like what? Yeah, what kind of stuff? Yeah. Because I live in because I live in California. Normally, I am um, I'm lucky to be in a situation where I can simply go and buy it. The problem with a lot of edibles is they also have a tendency to have a lot of sugar. Yeah. And sugar is um, really off the uh, diet for dealing with cancer, particularly you know, in your first few years, probably, of dealing with it. <clears throat> Every once in a while now, 
I may have a piece of pie that has regular sugar, although I try to use, you know, stevia or swerve is a very good um, natural sugar. But, but anyway, this past March, I passed my um, six-year anniversary. Six so, years after they said three years? Yeah, after they gave me only a 27% chance of living past three years. I have passed six years. Wow. So I do feel like everything is important. Physical health is important. Mental health is important. Emotional, spiritual, all very helpful. That's amazing. (laughs) That's good to hear. So so what's your uh, current situation looking like? Um, Well, on a physical level, currently, I am caring for my, excuse me, my elderly parents. My father, in the beginning of March, went into the hospital. He has COPD from, you know, decades of living on cigarettes, and um, he had gone into the hospital, and they did not think he was going to survive, so I came from California to where they live, and he spent another five weeks in the hospital, and then was able to come out and go into hospice care because while in the hospital they found he had cancer that started in his colon and had already moved to his lungs and his liver. So I have been here since the beginning of March kind of um, helping care for him and for my mom. They're in their 80s. I wish we were in California where it would be more easy to um, um, have cannabis products for my dad. We're using CBD, you know, which helps with, uh, you know, helps some. Right. But it's not the same. <laughs> as yeah. Cannabis. Yeah, definitely. Um... So that's me. And physically, I'm doing my best to keep up, you know, what I do. I don't focus on cancer, of having cancer. You know, it's not part of my life. I haven't actually been to a doctor. It's been probably five and a half years since I've been to a doctor. Okay, and you don't feel the need? Absolutely not. Oh, absolutely not. Wow. I am probably the healthiest I've ever been at this point. And I still do, you know, I still take supplements. I support my immune health. And... um and I'm almost 60, and most people would put me more like probably at 50 if they met me in person, <laughs> you know, because I try to keep in, you know, relatively good shape and, right. you know, and have a good uh, attitude. And I think it's hard right now in our current climate to have a good attitude, but stress, stress in and of itself um, will be detrimental if you have cancer and if you're fighting something like that because it causes proteins and hormones to come out into your bloodstream that support the growth of cancer. I feel like that's where cannabis is really good as the sort of just even at the bare minimum minimum of being a stress reliever. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's very important to even just get yourself ready to heal is just getting yourself baseline right yeah and i see a lot of people who struggle 
um, you know, in different health groups that I'm in, and they, to me, and of course everyone's different, so I want to really quantify that everybody's different. Mm. <laughs> not that, you know, not that this works for everyone, but I often see people so focused on their physical stuff, what they're doing physically, and not much about that emotional side, you know, that mental state. Or how are you dealing with stress? Are you freaked out all the time? You know, because some people seem, oh God, I'm doing all this and it's not going away. And I... But see, if you're in that frame of mind, you're supporting its growth. So it can be really difficult. Um, I mean, I think you take on a lot if you're treating this naturally, but I still feel that in a lot of cases, and again, I'm not a doctor and I don't want to be sued for anything I say, but it seems like a lot of people are doing really well treating cancer naturally. But you got to put in the work, you know. It well, can be hard to change your diet and not have, you know, all the things you're used to having, you know. Yeah, uh, part of it is just, yeah, like you said, giving up part of sort of you in a way like you enjoy eating or you enjoy like cake or ice cream once in a while or whatever I I could live on ice cream in the summer so and then you go ah well I'm gonna have to let that go and then you find other things it's not like you can't have things you just maybe have to make them yourself so you're kind of making a more healthy version you know and it takes time and time and effort but I think it's definitely worth it yeah I have a like sort of newfound love for fruit right I just find it so amazing (laughs) and just like it's just refreshing like you know you can chug a glass of water but it doesn't feel quite like eating you know like a just a nice juicy grape it just seems to like splash I think that's absolutely true and I think to myself as I got older, because we didn't have a lot of desserts, desserts when I was growing up, you know, so like raisins, you know, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, here, have some raisins, there's your dessert. <laughs> so when I was younger, I probably did not appreciate fruit as much. And now as I'm older and have changed my whole diet plan, this um, fruit is fantastic. And right now, Georgia peaches are coming out and I um, my parents live in Kentucky, so I'm closer to getting, um, you know, that kind of fresh produce. Watermelons, you know, to me, if you're thirsty, watermelons are just fantastic. Well, you said you're from California, so I imagine the fruit out there is just amazing. Right. But some of it is, but I think Georgia peaches uh, are not knock it out of the ballpark. Yeah. California peaches are okay. But they're nothing like Georgia peaches. Huh. <laughs> in my in my experience. <laughs> That's but, cool. Uh, but I, yeah, California's great. Um, but um, but I think we need to uh, probably, as a country, probably start eating a little more locally, you know, and eating things that are in more in season. You know, I kind of feel like that's healthier for us too. Yeah, you know, I definitely. Think our- bodies are used to cycles everything everything is cyclic you know so. I, I saw a cool um picture i can't remember what um company it was but they had 
on top of the grocery store, they had a bunch of like rows of plants and stuff. They had sort of their greenhouse on top. And I thought that was a really cool idea because then you could have like locally sourced um, fruits and vegetables. And you could yeah. also hire a bunch of people because, you know, <laughs> you need the jobs. You need people watering them. You need people taking care of them. So right. and that's such a good idea. Them, if you're going to grow them organically, you certainly need people to. Um, probably a little more effort in keeping the pests down and as well. Yeah, that just seems like a good sort of, it would take away pressure on importing. You know, so we could just have fresh right. fruit here and sort of be like the, it would give the grocery store sort of another label or another um, brand to sell, you know, like home fruits, right. you know, grown in store sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And we do need to um, certainly figure something out. I was just reading this morning about, you know, more Walmarts, um, getting rid of cashiers and, you know, going, going automated. And certainly we know that automation in the next 10 years is looking at taking a lot of jobs. So I think it's really important that we look at how we can um, retrain, retrain our communities into being healthier communities. And I think that would be great. Well, yeah, because as we evolve we're sort of getting rid of the need for a lot of these jobs so we just have to evolve kind of as a culture too and train our people to um fulfill sort of higher positions you know like i think we should leave it less up to how do i want to say this we should be helping people more like um giving people a foot up instead of sort of it seems like the way society is run right now, it's as soon as you fall, there's a foot on your chest, you know, and then there's no, there's like programs that you can go through and stuff to like get yourself out of it a little bit. But it just seems like once you're in the rut, you're in the rut. And yeah. I just see so yeah. much wasted potential when it comes to that, you know, like people aren't like a lot of my friends and me, included we could be doing so much more than just sort of sitting around looking for a job or doing a job we don't like you know and yeah it's up to us to sort of strive for that but at the same time as a whole wouldn't it be good for us to sort of help out the people that are in that rut and sort of right get society just moving you know and well, and I Working. think the, it, it seems a little like um, the powers that be have an idea of this is how society should be run. And I don't think, and that's as it's kind of been running now, and I don't really think that that's sustainable. I think we know it's not sustainable. We can't keep making trash, <laughs> you know, we can't keep polluting at the rates that we're doing that. So obviously we need to make some major shifts. And I think it's going to take people coming up with their own ideas. I just don't think that we can rely on our government or um, large corporations to make the best decisions for our future. 
Yeah. It doesn't seem like they're making the best decisions now and over the past couple decades. Two decades, right? <laughs> well, so, whenever profit is... That's it, you know? Yeah. And as long as everyone's bowing down to the almighty dollar. But see, right now we have to have dollars. You can't just say, you know, screw money. Because right now you have to have money to live. Well, so, yeah, there's definitely a need for money because... You know, if if you need bread and you're a massage therapist, you know, the the bread makers don't always need a massage, you know. So you need to to have a currency to be able to pay for that bread. Exactly. But but it can't be but if life becomes all about just making more money than you could ever possibly spend in five lifetimes, you know. Yeah, well then, I think Drug, I'm just drug addiction that. seems to be the big problem, you know, that, that society seems to have or seems to focus on. But it's not really about that. Shit, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, yeah. There was a study done on um, soldiers coming back from the Vietnam War. And tell me if you're familiar with this study. I'm not going to be able to give it to you verbatim. But heroin addicts who came back from Vietnam, those who had a good support system and health care, things of that nature, were able to get off heroin very easily. The people without um, support, without community, without ties, you know, often could not quit it. And I think that through this study, they've come to understand that a lot of drug addiction is really about your mental state before drugs. <laughs> if you were depressed, if you didn't feel like you had love in your life, if you didn't have a support system, community, whatever, um, then it was much more likely that drug addiction would take place and it would be hard to get out of it. So I think it's um, that's something that's worth looking at. Are we, is our society today built? I mean, we have more and more problems with depression all the time, <laughs> you know, where generally a lot of people are unhappy. What is this about? I think we have to fit, fix some of the those core emotional um, issues that we have as well, just to deal with drug addiction. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with being forced into being kind of a consumer. Like everybody sort of pushed into being a consumer when everybody has their own ideas and everybody's sort of a producer in their own way. But the way society is, it just wants everybody to consume and only have a right. few producers so that they can right. sort of funnel all the money. Right. So I, I think I think that's where a lot of the depression and anxiety comes from is, uh, de you know, just not fulfilling your potential and it's crushing for a lot of people right and to go back to the addiction thing um i i, I wanted to say that the world's focused on this drug addiction when the real the real problem with addiction is addiction of money and hoarding money and hoarding power and all this absolutely sort of stuff you know because it is an addiction at that point once you have a million dollars why do you need two million dollars you know i get it 
it's like it's a drive and it's all that sort of stuff but at one at some point it does become an addiction right like you don't need trillions of dollars you don't yeah you don't and i've certainly read um articles about you know once you have once you have a certain amount of money and you have the power that comes with that money the power tends to be more of the uh the addiction then is that feeling of power yeah and then you need more money and more power to to feel like that i feel like it's like oh like you were saying before of sort of childhood not sort of feeling love i guess or just having like this this trauma or something that didn't allow you to feel the love or something so you're you don't go to drugs but you go to another form of addiction right maybe as a child you never felt control and maybe you were in an abusive relationship with your parents and that was a problem so now you go to work at mcdonald's and now you get to be a shift supervisor and all of a sudden you have some power right and it's not a lot of power (laughs) but it's just enough power that you know you can be a dick you know and you start taking that you know that hurt from the abuse and that hurt then comes out as anger and bullying you know towards other people and I think that can be the same at any level of power. You can have powerful people who are good, wonderful people, and certainly there are those. And then you have people who are abusive in their use of their power. So, you know, in every group of people, we have all kinds. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. But um, certainly, I would say they they say the first seven years of life, you know is a lot of your basic programming and then that's kind of just sucked into children like a sponge you know it's not just what they're told it's what goes on around them you know yeah and how they're by that and then you spend you know 20 30 40 years (laughs) trying to fix that (laughs) if you happen to be in a dysfunctional family growing up yeah um i've got a friend that he's very smart guy he's like one of my best friends um but he's very negative you know and i'm trying to sort of i'm sort of pushing him to try mushrooms to sort of spark that positivity you know um right because he's told me stories of when he was a kid and um his mother passed away from I, I can't remember what cancer, but she died from cancer. And her and his younger brother also died from a brain tumor, I think when he was like 12 or so. Wow. Um, so there's that childhood trauma that would, you know, that would take a lot of light out of somebody, right? Um, right. But he also said that um, his mom would say stuff like, like I shouldn't have had kids sort of thing or, you know, stuff to that nature. So I feel like that also blocked out a lot of that love that, you know, that motherly love that somebody needs to really be able to give that to somebody else. 
Right. So I, I, <laughs> I sort of want to get him to try mushrooms to see if I can um, get at those traumas and see if we can sort of pull apart the clouds, you know? Absolutely. No, I'm a big supporter. I really um, I was working before um, I came here. We were working on the decriminalizing of psilocybin, you know, the California state effort, and um, collecting signatures and all. So, but then, of course, not that long, probably after I was here, we had to stop because we were out in public collecting signatures, you know, and we had to stop that. So I'm not sure we got to a point where we, where we will get it on the ballot this year. I thought I are... just saw something going around Facebook saying that um, surprisingly it did get on the ballot, but maybe that wasn't for California. No, it might have been. Um, my my responsibilities right here, taking care of my parents, have kind of supersede a lot of my involvement in what's going on. Although I try to kind of keep up. No, that's fantastic. Although I know Oregon is also working on it as well. Okay, that that could have been where I saw the uh, the post from too. And Washington D.C. Um, last week was at a point of only needing thirty thousand more signatures by um, Monday, this coming Monday, the sixth, to get it on the ballot in Washington D.C. That's amazing. So there are a lot, and um, as of January, there are um, just over 100 cities working on uh, decriminalizing um, some form of psychedelics, mushrooms, some some are working on all, um, all plant medicines and such. Well, that's the way to do it, because right. if, if people are seeing benefits from... MDMA from ketamine from LSD from mushrooms from ayahuasca like just at least let it be in a section where we can study it if people want to do it let them do it and report on it you know like right. we, we need to get the the studies going because there's people willing to do it and there's people already doing it it's just we need right. to get that structure i guess and canada's already um has psilocybin therapy mm -hmm. so you know we can look just look north of the border you know and see well that's where i live here. actually and oh, you know that's right i forgot <laughs> yeah and you can actually i guess 1p lsd and you know those analogs are you can just order them on the internet and stuff like that i'm uh, I guess British Columbia is, they're sort of rolling out this plan to allow um, chronically ill and people who are basically on their deathbed to um, be able to use these psychedelics or at least mushrooms um, to sort of cope with that. And I think that's amazing, like that should be a no-brainer you know like these people are it's sad to say it already dying what's exactly. what's it gonna hurt right if we're already having the conversation of um or i shouldn't say already if we're having the conversation of uh euthanasia 
Um, then why aren't we trying to use this bit of time left to do some good with it, you know? Absolutely. Because there is and, good. And even better if we could do that before someone's on their deathbed. Mm-hmm. You know? Maybe this is a situation where, hey, maybe 10 years ago, I mean, there are certainly times that I think, gosh, I, I wish I had known about ayahuasca 20 years ago, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. That might have been great. But, you know, things come to you when they come to you, so... Yeah, and sometimes it seems like they come to you as you need, whether it's for a learning experience or whatever. It just sort of, sometimes they're just almost there. It's almost like fate when they sort of show up. Show up, yeah. I would like to see, so when it comes to um, psychedelic therapies, for me, I have always would have liked a little more um, aftercare, let's say. So the idea, if you had someone, and it would, to me, if you have a psychedelic therapist, <laughs> that would be, have to be somebody who's actually had that experience themselves. Definitely, because, like a shaman of sorts. Yeah. Even if you're a Western, let's say, therapist or psychotherapist or whatever if you've worked with psychedelics for your own self I think that would work as well well I think but that's you... almost better because then at least you're working through um, experience and knowledge instead of working through what you read in a book or what you Absolutely. saw in a video or whatever like if you actually went into your body and cured cancer or you, you know, fought those demons of PTSD or depression or whatever, like, then you can say, okay, this is how you do it, you know, or this is how I did it. Let's see if it works for you. I, I, right. I just feel like this isn't the sort of thing where somebody who hasn't experienced it can be on the forefront of helping you with it. Absolutely, absolutely. But I found in my ayahuasca experiences that I would like to have had someone to work with afterwards a little bit more. So and... how did those work? Like, did you go to, you just went for the two days and then you're sort of on your own afterwards? Yeah. Okay, so that's, yeah, there's literally no yeah. aftercare. There's not really... Um, I mean, eat the next morning, each morning you could chat, but only one person spoke some English. So it made it hard, you know, for you to have maybe deep discussions with shaman because I do not speak Spanish. I speak a little, but not enough to have that kind of conversation. So, yeah. So I think for me, aftercare would have been more productive. And I'm not even sure what that aftercare would look like. <laughs> but maybe somebody to just talk out my stuff more with, you know. So, Or so even really, some, yeah, some sort of group therapy or um, where, where you and a group of other women going through the same sort of um, breast cancer um, therapy or like resolve, like that's what you're there to do. 
um, get around and talk about your experience and then um, sort of share ideas and open your mind to other people and how they experienced it. And maybe with the next trip, you'd be able to sort of go into it with a new perspective. Possibly. Do you think that would help? Yeah, I think for me, I've I've done a lot of group work in my life. And I think for me personally, um, because I'm a caretaker, you know, I am a caretaker person. And I thought it was interesting. My first night on my first ayahuasca ceremony, I was, it's almost impossible for my mind to not be wandering to everyone else around in that caretaking mode. Everybody doing okay? We're all doing okay? Yeah, just to <laughs> so let go and it's about me for once, sort of. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like in my situation, because I am always that person, I will help and I will always give up a spot to somebody else who needs it more and I will feel everyone will need it more. <laughs> and uh, so I think for me, I would like probably more one-on-one kind of talk therapy. Okay. After would probably be good. So have you been in any sort of like ayahuasca um, group session? Like, uh, what am I trying to say here? Like a, like a group therapy. Like you, you you said you've been through lots of group therapy, but um, was it with other people that had done ayahuasca? Oh no, certainly I haven't since, since this time, since this phase in my life. (laughs) Um, I haven't, I haven't, I mean, I'm certainly in ayahuasca groups, you know, Right. and, and certainly there's chat here and there about stuff, but not like a dedicated, Hey, let's get together for an hour and sit down and talk about stuff. Yeah. But I think more things, um, more groups like that are coming up. Integration groups. I see, um, in California where we've had a, a good surge of, uh, integration groups in the last six months to a year and I think that's that's awesome yeah it's needed for sure you have do you are you aware of that where you're at um well we have a couple groups on Facebook one is Canadians for the I'll look it up here um yeah it's basically a Canadian group for um psychedelics for mental health um, Canadians for improved mental health um, with psychedelic medicine. So, I, I mean, as a small group, we only have 74 people in there right now, but... But still, no, it's great. Yeah, it's yeah. it's something, you know, and then it allows us to share our experiences and get more of a collection of of knowledge and you know build towards at least being able to research it right yeah and i um and i was seeing more um local actual physical um getting together in person groups oh you know yeah no i i my group is kind of small um when it comes to that but um, well, that and the population, the population of wherever you live. Yeah. You know, I, I live in Southern California where, you know, you can have some large populations of people. <laughs> so certainly you'll have more people interested in psychedelics if you have more people. Well, and but I'm I pretty sure in one city you guys have more people than 
all of Canada. <laughs> Probably, I know. <laughs> so, because I think we have like 37 million people or something spread out throughout the right. whole thing. So, and you guys have like 350 or something. And I think um, like LA is somewhere around 30 or so, 30, 40. It like feels the, like it. The, it feels like it when you're there. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like a trillion. Um, I like Canada a lot. I've been to Montreal oh, yeah. um, a number of times, and I've never made it to Vancouver, and that's someplace I've always wanted to to check out. Yeah, I've been out west. I've been to kind of. I've traveled a little bit in BC, um, but I've never been to uh, Montreal. I'd love to go out there. Oh my gosh! I haven't gone it east. Really is, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful city. Yeah, I've I've heard great things, and I've I mean I'd love to explore over there. One day, who knows? <laughs> one day. <laughs> End of part one. Make sure to subscribe and listen to the rest of Catherine's story in part two and three. If you have a comment or anything you'd like to share on the podcast, email me at two temples podcast at gmail dot com. The best way to support Two Temples is by sharing the podcast with your friends and on social media. Thanks for listening. Ciao for now.